Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point. And uh, before we dig into our message or anything, I just thought before we got into any of that stuff that we might just, as a church, as a community, just have a few minutes when we could just pray on our own. Um, if you haven't been watching the news, then, um, you know, Russia's invaded Ukraine, and there's just a, a lot going on in that part of the world, and a lot of people caught up in all of that. And these are people who are made in God's image, people who God loves. And so before we start anything, I just want to invite you to join me in just a few, a few moments, and we can just pray and lift them up right now. So please join me in doing that. God, we just come to you and um, we can't understand why things happen the way they happen. We know only that we have your promise that you use everything for good and that you are involved in everything. We can't make sense of it, but God, we just pray for those in the Ukraine being affected by this right now. We just lift them up to you. We pray that they feel your presence, that they have the help that they need, the aid that they need. And God, if we can do anything beyond praying, we ask that you make that clear to us, God, but we lift them up and we know that prayer matters and we know that you love these people and so God, just surround them in that area right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. Um, so if this is your first time with us, just explain quickly what we do here at South Point. Each and every week we open up this book, the Bible, uh, and, and we do this really for three reasons. The first reason is to understand who Jesus is better. Uh, the second is to understand what God has done for us and the third is because we want to understand the life that God dreams for us, and we want to lean into that. And so each week we open up this book. We believe this is not just a book, but this is actually the Word of God, and we seek after those three things. We pursue this relationship with Jesus, and this is all the foundation of that. And what we're doing uh, all this year, all 2022, is we're reading through the book of Acts. This entire year we're spending in the book of Acts, and so you'll see in the chairs in front of you we have these little black Acts journals, and uh, if you don't have one of those, please take that. We're going to be reading through this and using this, um, and, and really, uh, we're going to be on page 12 starting there, and really, uh, the book of Acts is this picture of how the church began. It's actually a picture of the birth of the church, and, and so as we're reading through this, uh, we believe that what God is doing through this group of people that we're reading about, we believe that he wants to do that right here and right now with our community. And so where we left off last week, we read about Pentecost. And Pentecost is this moment when God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, descended onto and into the hearts of his followers. And so if you don't know about this, uh, after watching Jesus uh, ascend into heaven on a cloud, his followers went back to Jerusalem and they waited and they prayed and they worshiped the way he told them to. And they waited for this Holy Spirit. And last week we read about this sound like a mighty rushing wind and tongues like fire resting on each of them, and how all of them were speaking these languages they didn't know and have never studied, and were talking about God. And, and, and that's amazing. But last week we really focused on as amazing as all of these signs were, what they really were were just signifiers of one huge truth, and that's that God is now within his people. God had always been over his people, and, and for a time when Jesus was walking the earth, God was with his people. But now after this Holy Spirit has descended, God is within his followers. Everything has changed. 
And immediately, right after the Holy Spirit has entered into these believers, there's now an opportunity to share this good news about Jesus with people because this sound like a mighty rushing wind has attracted thousands of people over to where these believers are. So now there are thousands of people who have rushed over to hear what all the commotion is about. And what happens is the Apostle Peter is now standing to address this crowd. So if you know anything about Peter, Peter has never had a stage like this. He's never spoken to a crowd like this. Peter's never been trained as a preacher. He's never taken public speaking courses. But now here Peter is, filled with the Holy Spirit and a heart captivated by Jesus. And Peter stands before this megachurch-sized crowd. And this is like megachurch in 2022, let alone the time period that they were in. So thousands of people. And Peter stands to address this crowd. And so what in the world is Peter going to say? Let's pray and then we can dig into this message. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. And God, I believe that your word paints a picture of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, I just pray that the message of the gospel this morning just cuts to our heart and we get this clear picture of who you are and this relationship that you want for us. And God, I just pray that we're changed by it. If we've never heard it before, I pray that we hear it for the first time. If we have, I pray that we hear it with fresh ears and you just reignite the thankfulness and fire and power of what Jesus did that day on the cross. And God, I just thank you in advance for what you're going to do. This is all about you. It's not about me. Just be glorified through this. In your name and your name alone, amen. So if you have, uh, if you have your Acts journals, then you can go to page 12. If not, then we're in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Uh, and we're going to have, we'll have the, the passage up on the board for you. And so Peter's standing in front of this massive group of people who have come to see what's going on. And this is how Peter addresses them. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And so the scene is so wild to these, this crowd because these believers are speaking in different languages and they're like all fired up. And, and so they think they're drunk. And Peter says, no, they're not, they're not drunk. This is actually what's happening. And then Peter goes into these words from the Old Testament by, by the prophet Joel. So he says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day, and then don't miss this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, big surprise, a couple weeks ago we observed Peter quoting scripture for the first time in his life, and now Peter has this massive crowd of thousands of people in front of him, and what does he do? He starts quoting scripture again. It feels like this might be becoming a habit for Peter. I guess only time will tell, but, but Peter begins quoting the prophet Joel. And there may be some people in here who didn't even know that there was a book of the Bible called Joel. Maybe you thought Joel was just some kid that lives down the street, but there's actually a book of the Bible called Joel, and in it there is a prophet by the name of Joel, and he predicts what God is going to do in the future. And, and now in the future, in this moment that we're reading about, the predictions of Joel are now 
playing out for real, and Peter's connecting the dots for these people in the crowd. And, and so right at this moment, we're seeing Jesus' followers filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're seeing them prophesying about God. And just so you're aware, prophesying doesn't always just mean predicting the future. More accurately, prophesying means to talk about God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so don't get caught in the weeds of like, oh, I can't predict the future. I can't prophesy. Because you can talk about God, and you can talk about what he's done, and you can talk about what he's done for you, and that is prophesying. I think we get sometimes caught up in like the amazing, the, the signs, and just being honest, God is still amazing whether you're speaking in tongues or just telling someone your testimony. God is just as amazing in both instances. You don't need anything to make God amazing. He is amazing, and you can prophesy. And when you're here singing these words, or even if you're at home just singing or in your car, and you're talking about how amazing and powerful God is, you're singing about that, you are prophesying. I think we get caught up, again, in the dramatic, the fantastical signs that and we think that God isn't still working unless we see this, but God is always working. It just rarely looks the way that we think it should look. And so I hope you don't read through this passage and see all these signs and think, man, I wish things were still like that because they are, and God is still working, just not the way that we always think he should. And for the record, reading through this, this prophecy by Joel, it's a lot of imagery, but understand that Joel writes in a very poetic form, and he uses a lot of imagery on purpose. Some of it's literal. Some of it's symbolic, but if you get too caught up in all of that, you might miss the most important thing that he says, and we'll read it again when he says in verse 21, he says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, why do you think the apostles are speaking all these different languages so that every single person there who speaks all these different languages can hear about it? It's because the message is literally for every single person present. And so point one of Peter's sermon is that Jesus died for every one. Jesus died for every one. And I know that everyone is one word. I've been trained as an English teacher, but I, I wanted you to see it written this way so that you understand the weight that Jesus died for literally every single person, for every one. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done that you think is too bad to be forgiven, that you don't deserve to have a relationship with God if you think that. It doesn't matter if the entire world has told you your whole life that you're worthless and you'll never be worth anything because the God of the universe decided that you, you individually were worth dying for. And so can I inflict this amazing news upon you this morning? You are loved far beyond anything you could ever dream of or imagine. You are fully known, fully known in all of your mess and brokenness and uncertainty and seeing God sees you. He knows you and he loves you. The Bible says that there is nothing that can separate you from the love that God has for you, not even you. And these people in Jerusalem for this festival, before they heard anything else, before they were preached anything else, they needed to hear that. And before you hear anything else this morning, you need to hear that Jesus died for you and Jesus loves you so much and I think frequently that we forget that I think so easy it, it easily get caught up in the trap of, of I'm worthless and I, I'm not good enough I'm, I'm a terrible parent I could be doing better I'm a terrible friend I'm a terrible spouse I could be so much better I could be doing so much more and I'm just not and you get caught in that cycle but what if we just stopped and just heard Jesus voice saying yeah, I choose you. 
you know, but, but God, you, you don't know how bad it's gotten. You don't know how far away I've fallen and I, I'm caught up with this. Yeah, I know. And, and I choose you. But God, this person did this to me and I, I can't forgive them. God, I'm so angry or I've gotten caught up in this sin and I, I can't break free and it's like it's spiraled out of control and like no one else knows but I'm like hiding this. And Yeah, I, I know. I choose you. You need to know that God loves you, that you are loved, and you need to know that you're chosen, and you need to know that Jesus died for you before we go any further. And so do these people in the crowd, and that's probably for the best because Peter really kind of starts digging in from this point on. It goes on in in verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh well, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ Jesus talked about, or David talked about Jesus, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that he has poured out, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's a lot going on here, a lot in these passages. Um, and Peter follows this very similar pattern of quoting the Old Testament to turn the attention towards Jesus. And this time, this passage, Peter's actually quoting King David from the Psalms, specifically Psalm 16, and there's a lot of biblical history that we could get into here, but the core of what you need to know about Peter quoting David is that God actually promised King David that the Messiah would be a direct descendant of him, would come from his bloodline, this Messiah that would save everyone. And, and there's a lot of speculation among people in Israel about who the Messiah would be and how would they come and what would they do when they got here. But all these Israelites knew the Messiah would be coming, and what Peter's doing is he's saying to these Israelites, this Jesus, he was the Messiah. And, and, and he proved that he was the Messiah, not only by all the miracles that he performed that a lot of you saw, but, but when he physically died on a cross and raised back to life. Peter's literally telling these people, listen, we saw him alive, and then we saw him dead after you killed him, and then we saw him alive again. And so Jesus is the Messiah. And so point number two of Peter's sermon 
is not just that Jesus is God, but more glaringly, when you read through these passages, he says twice, you crucified him, you killed him. Peter's saying everyone needed Jesus to die for them because everyone is guilty. And, and, and understand that these people, there are thousands of people in this crowd, they weren't all the ones nailing Jesus to a cross, but because of their sin, because of our sin, all of us are guilty. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not enough to know that Jesus died for you. You do need to know that, but you also need to understand that you needed Jesus to die for you. There's a difference. A lot of people could tell you that, yeah, Jesus died on a cross for the sins of everyone, but they don't understand that they actually needed that to happen. They don't feel the weight of needing a Savior. You have to understand that. And when you look at what Jesus was doing on the cross, you'll begin to understand the ways in which we are all responsible for what he endured. It was your debt that was paid. You individually, it was, it was my debt. And we could go through the biblical narrative of Jesus' crucifixion, and we could read through it, and we could judge people and be like, they're so bad, the way they participated and contributed. We could do that. We can play church games, or we could read through the biblical narrative of Jesus' crucifixion and understand that like we are written all over these pages. We're a part of the story. And we've turned our backs and ran when things got hard like the disciples. We've betrayed Jesus in pursuit of earthly things like Judas. We've denied knowing Jesus with our words, our actions, like Peter. We've been ignorant and, and unwilling to acknowledge the Savior standing right in front of us like Pilate. And we were the prisoners locked in chains who got set free even though they didn't deserve it while Jesus stood condemned like Barabbas. It was our sin and shame, yours and mine, that drove the whips upon Jesus' back, the thorns on his head, and the nails through his hands and feet. This isn't just something that happened to him. This is something that we did to him. He had to die on the cross. And the reason why he had to do that is because God is so holy and so good. He's so holy and so good that our brokenness, our sin, it, it leaves us incompatible with him. He's so good and so holy that our sin makes it so that we aren't able to have a relationship with him. And, and he can't dwell inside of us in the punishment for our sin, the consequences that we have to stay separated from God forever, left to deal with with and endure the consequences of our own actions. But Jesus, and this is a big but, but Jesus, despite having never sinned, despite having only ever loved and healed and restored, despite being perfect, Jesus raised his hand and said, hey, Father, whatever I need to do for you to love them the way you love me, whatever I need to do for you to accept them the way you accept me, I'll pay the price. But Jesus, you... You haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, I know that. That makes me the only one qualified to pay the price. And listen, that makes no sense. It's not fair. It's hard to accept because Jesus was good. Jesus was perfect. And we were rightful prisoners. We are broken. We had this punishment coming. And Jesus had this perfect relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was fulfilled. He didn't owe us anything. He doesn't need anything from us. We offer him nothing. We bring nothing but broken pieces. Our offering to Jesus is shattered and broken pieces, and yet he died for us and died because of us. And that's really hard to wrap your mind around and try to conceptualize that, that, that God loved us so much, and he's so amazing and perfect and holy and yet unfairly died because of our wrongdoings. And 
And this is a big deal. I know we hear this all the time, but it just sometimes like in one ear, out the other. This is a big deal. And I think sometimes we just forget how amazing this is, that Jesus got what we deserved. And, and so Peter delivers this news to this crowd. Jesus died for everyone, and you needed him to die for you because you are broken. And, and so it says this is how this crowd responded. And I wonder if it's how we respond when we hear this. It says in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so the people response, they say, what do we do with this? They say, Jesus died for us. He died because of us. How do we respond to this? And, and what's Peter's response? He, he gives them point three of his sermon that everyone needs to repent. Everyone needs to repent. And listen, I know this is a sensitive topic. I, I know that people hate the word repent. I know that it comes with these images of like street preachers with like megaphones and like throwing Bibles at people. And, and I know that that comes with images and maybe you've experienced this of preachers like standing and pounding on a pulpit and telling you that if you don't change the way you're living, you're going to go to hell. I know that there are people who have these images come up and repentance has become synonymous with guilt and shame and fear and trepidation and negativity. And just full transparency, the church... The big church has continued to use the word repent to abuse and control people. And I mean, let's just call it what it is. The, the idea of repentance has been weaponized. It's been used as a tool to try to modify people's behavior. It's become the self-help, moral compass, earn your own salvation. And it's pushed so many people away from church. And it's pushed so many people away from God. And I understand that. And I hate that. And I know that everyone wants to be done with this word. And guess what? We're not alone in that. Pretty much everyone in the Old Testament and in this crowd, they felt the exact same way about the word repent. You know, for them, a lot of the messaging from the prophets, they heard things exactly the way we hear them. They pictured these old crazy prophets with like beards full of like manna crumbs running around telling people like, if you don't stop doing bad things, you're going to go to hell. Why do you think so many of the prophets got killed? It's because people hated this idea of repenting and, and trying to change their lives. And do you know why people hate this idea of trying to like change their lives and stop sinning and be this perfect person? And, and why we bristle against that and we get uncomfortable when we're asked or we think we're being asked to stop sinning and change our lives? It's because we, we can't do it. It's an insurmountable task. We can't change our lives. We can't stop sinning and the way we understand the word repent is that change your ways stop sinning and since we can't do it when we hear that word we, we bristle against it and we feel guilty or we feel angry or we feel ashamed or we run away and, and maybe you thought jesus came on the scene in the new testament and like 
sprinkled some fairy dust all over everything and said, don't worry about repenting anymore, just be nice to everybody. But if you actually read through it, and this is why reading Scripture is so important, if you actually read from the moment Jesus began preaching all the way through Peter preaching now, the message was this. It says, from that time, from the time Jesus began his ministry, the message has been, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later in his ministry, Jesus seems to be even more straightforward with this messaging when he says in Luke chapter 13, he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. From Jesus. It, you know what that sounds like? That kind of sounds like a threat. But the truth is, it actually isn't. And Jesus isn't threatening anyone. Peter isn't threatening anyone. None of the prophets were threatening anyone. They were actually just telling the truth. Because the truth is it's either Jesus or it's not. It's either Jesus who can save you or it's anything else that can't. So it is Jesus or perish. And I just want to take a minute and just reclaim this word repentance if we could because guess what? Peter's not done with it. He's going to say it. He's going to keep saying it. And then we're going to be introduced to someone named Paul and at some point he's going to start talking about repentance a lot. And and if every time you hear the word repentance, you think it simply means to like turn away from your sin or try to be a better person. If that's what you think every time you hear it, then pretty much the rest of the book of Acts is going to feel like this condemning guilt trip. It's going to sound like bad news. But check this out. We know that the gospel, we know that the message of Jesus and what he did on the cross, we know that that's good news. And God would not pair good news with bad news. It doesn't make sense. And so you have to understand that the word repentance, the act of repentance, is it's actually a gift. And I know that sounds crazy, but let's just talk about it for a minute. Language is important here, and you have to understand that the Greek word for repentance, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And what it means actually isn't to turn away from sin or like change your life. The, the Greek word metanoia actually means to change your mind. But not like change your mind on a small scale, like, well, I wasn't going to take a nap, but I guess I'm going to now. But like an actual change your mind, like way deeper. Like metanoia actually means that like, your perspective, like your perception of life has now completely changed. It's like a whole paradigm shift. It means you've been introduced to new information. And because of this new information, like your entire reality, your entire world, your entire life, it just changed. And you're no longer seeing things the way that you just saw them a minute ago because this new information has like rocked you. Can you see where I'm going with this? When you, when you come face to face with the redemptive love and power of Jesus Christ, it will rearrange your perception of everything. It'll change your mind. And the things that you once thought were like so important, they'll start to lose their value to you in comparison to what Jesus offers. It's like, man, I used to think it was all about money or having relationships or having an identity or having a lot of sex or owning all these things. And I used to pursue these things and they were so important. But then I saw Jesus and it's just like, you know what? can have it because it doesn't do what it says it's going to do but he does it's this shift in your perspective 
And everyone has to make that decision. Everyone has to walk away from this junk. And the other thing is this junk can't save you. Jesus can. And everyone has to make this decision, including Peter, the one preaching this. And and if we can, I just want to go back and look at the moment when Peter, our guest preacher, when he repented and changed his mind. And man, I I love this so much. This actually happened over three years before. This is the moment. Peter was introduced to Jesus. It says this, talking about Jesus. It says, And Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And if you weren't aware, Simon is actually Peter. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. So when it's saying Simon, this is Peter. The Peter is preaching to this crowd three years before. Getting into one of the boats, which was Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he said to Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. And so you have Peter, you have this professional fisherman. This is his entire life. This is what Peter's done his entire life. His entire life revolves around catching and selling fish. That's what he does. That's who he is. And this random teacher hops in his boat and uses his boat to teach from. And I can like picture Peter rolling his eyes like, great, but you know, we haven't caught anything. Go ahead, use the boat. And then after this teacher finishes, he starts giving Peter fishing tips. Why don't you go out a little deeper and catch some fish there? And I want you to notice in this passage that Jesus never tells Peter to stop sinning. He, he's not talked about sin to this point. Just, Peter, go go fish out there. If you're Peter, and you've been working all night, toiling all night with no luck, and this dude jumps in your boat who doesn't even fish and starts telling you how to fish, I mean, like, what's going through Peter's head? But, but he's desperate. Like, all fishermen are desperate. They need to catch fish. They need that to provide and survive. And so, you know, this teacher has some people following him. Peter says, why not? Let's do it. And watch what happens. It says, and when they had done this, when they went into the deep and cast their nets, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So just a couple minutes ago, Jesus was teacher, and now he's, O Lord. I see a perspective shift. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, he said to Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, followed Jesus. And did you see the moment, like, you know how many times this passage gets used as this, like, do what Jesus tells you to do and he'll give you everything you could dream of in life? Like, Peter is a fisherman and he just received two boats so full of fish, so overflowing with fish that they're starting to sink. Like, you can read this on a page and it doesn't really do it justice, but no one's ever caught fish like this before. This just doesn't happen. This is sinking the boats. This is so much fish. Peter's going to be set 
for a very long time. Not just with money, not just with reputation. Like Peter just became somebody because of this catch. This is likely all Peter ever could have dreamed of, but, but after he meets Jesus, well, what used to be so important to him, he just leaves it on the shore. What used to be so important is now worthless because man, God is real, Peter, and, and he chose you. And that changes everything, and so now Peter has repented. He's changed his mind. What's valuable, what brings satisfaction, what brings fulfillment, it's not what he thought it was going to be five minutes ago. He's found something better. His brain has been rearranged, and that's what repentance looks like. And sin, although it is important, it is important, but it's not even talked about in this situation. It doesn't even need to be addressed. Like, Peter doesn't need to be talked out of his earthly fortune. Like, he's seen what's better. Peter doesn't need to be talked out of it. It's just worthless now in comparison to Jesus. And thank God that Peter has this moment of clarity, and if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, then, man, thank God you had this moment of clarity because it's a gift to understand the truth. And the truth is that only Jesus can save you. That's just the truth. That's who he is. That's what he does. Only Jesus can save you. And God allowed you to see that and you said yes to it. And that's called repentance. And that is the greatest gift that you've ever received in your life. And just to clarify, Peter would have never just come to this conclusion by his own power. It's not possible. He had to be introduced to new information. He had to witness who Jesus was. And that changed his mind. And so as Peter's preaching to this crowd, he doesn't start with repent. He starts with who Jesus is and what Jesus did and why we need him. And, and what's actually unwritten all these pages is the fact that this newly descended Holy Spirit is like rushing through this crowd of thousands of people and stirring up their hearts as they hear this amazing news for the first time. And in order for you to repent, you have to understand that Jesus died for you and he loves you. And you also need to understand that you needed him to die for you because you can't be your own savior. And when you start to understand this and accept this, the weight and truth hits you and you'll begin to understand it is only Jesus. Jesus is the only true way to freedom and salvation. All other paths, they fall through. They'll fall apart. Any other thing or person in this world, as much as you love it, it makes for a terrible God and it will let you down at some point. It is either Jesus or perish. That's why repentance is so important. That's why it's a gift. That's why 3,000 people changed their minds and gave their lives to Jesus on this day. That's why the gospel is and will forever remain the foundation of everything we do as a church because it's the truth and it's everything. Jesus is the only thing that can save you. There is nothing else. And I think some of us in this room are like still on the shore and like trying to carry our fish and like fighting with the nets and it's like we just we can't get satisfaction from that and maybe you've said yes to Jesus and somewhere along the way you just like lost the wonder and awe you you drifted and maybe you feel stuck now maybe you feel like your faith is like a joke and it doesn't even feel real and you don't know how you got to this point but like you know that you need God and you don't know how to get there what do I do repent Repent. It's a gift. Let the message of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he does, let it change your mind and just leave the junk on the shore and pursue what's better. Start following him again. Start seeking him again. 
He's good. And maybe there's someone in this room, if maybe you've never left the nets on the shore, maybe you're still fighting with them, maybe you're on the fence about this whole Jesus thing, but maybe the Holy Spirit's stirring something in you and you're like, I actually think this is right. I'm not getting anything from this. I'm not getting what I want. Maybe this is actually better. How do I lean into this? Repent. It's a gift. Make the decision to follow Jesus. Just invite him to come into your life. Just follow him. And you'll never be the same. He's so good. And so to finish our time together, we're going to enter a time of communion. Um, and to enter a time when we can reflect upon what Jesus did on the cross that day for all of us. We're going to reflect on this opportunity that he gave us to repent and be made whole. And there's two cups. One has the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. The other is the juice that represents his blood that washes away our sin. And after we do that, if you want to stand and sing with us, awesome. If you want to sit and pray, maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to talk to God right now. Do that. If you need to talk to someone, we'll have people down here at the bottom of the ramp who will talk to you. And they, man, they'll love on you. They'll, they'll be there for you. But don't walk out of here without reconciling this, man. This is... This is all we got. This is all I got. This is all you got. And I know it's easy to look around the world and get consumed with everything that's happening and, and famine and disease and COVID and war and poverty and oppression. And like we could just like rattle all of these things off. But the truth is all of this stuff is going to go away someday. The only thing that's going to last forever is this amazing God and everyone who has said yes to him. Everyone whose mind has been changed. Everyone who has followed him. God and his people in this perfect relationship forever, and it's going to be amazing. And I hope all of us are going to be there. Let's pray. Jesus, I just, I submit to you, and I just confess my own shortcomings in the ways in which I've tried to find satisfaction, find fulfillment, find freedom, find things that only you offer and things that this world offers and just never enough. I thank you so much for the, uh, the clarity that you've given me, the ability that you've given me to be able to see that it's only you, Lord. God, I pray that you're stirring up the hearts of the people in this room. I pray that the message of who Jesus is and what he's done, I pray it cuts to our hearts. I pray it pushes us in a new direction. It changes our minds. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who's never made a decision for you, God, I pray you're, you're just drawing them in. You're showing them the truth. I pray anyone who's drifted, who's felt unfulfilled and empty for too long, God, I pray you draw them back in and show them what it's like to follow you and be loved by you. I pray that we're changed forever by this. I pray that this love that we have in you becomes the foundation of everything that we can't be shaken. We just love you so much, God. I Submit all this to you, God. Just be with us in this moment. In Jesus' name.